You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. Why don't we just pray before we come around the word? Don't we do that? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come together. And Lord, we just know, we just know that you are here because you said you would be here. And we believe that. And we know that. And whether we feel your presence or not, we know you are here. The power of your spirit, the presence of your spirit, and the person of the Holy Spirit is here representing you, Jesus. And we know because your word has faithfully declared that you would never leave us nor forsake us. And Lord, when we gather together, how much more are you in the midst of us? And you sing over us with joy. You love it when your people come together and are family together. Father, we thank you that you are our heavenly Father. And Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and Lord, just open our hearts to understand a little bit more of what grace is. Open the eyes of our understanding, I pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody said? No, oh, no, it wasn't everybody. Everybody said? Amen. Hey, that was good. That was good. Well, we've, uh, we've been in Canberra, yeah, 10 years this month. So the beginning of this month was our first service 10 years ago the first Sunday in July. So we came over in June and we kind of spied out the land and checked out a few churches, not to do any poaching or anything like that. We just wanted to see what the culture of Canberra was like. So much different, obviously, to a small country town. Um, But uh, nevertheless, the needs of people are still great, aren't they? You know, there's still broken people. There's people that are lost. There's people that are needy. There's people that are poor in spirit. There's people that are hungry for God. There are people in dysfunctional families. You know, we were so surprised. I don't know whether I mentioned this before. Forgive me for repeating myself from the last time I was here, which was about probably 12 months ago or something. I forget now. It was a condo camp or might have been weekend last year or something. But um, our girls, we've got Chloe, who's not here, but she's at the Ten Haves at Gamain at the moment. And then Phoebe, Chloe's 12, 13 this year. And we've got Phoebe, who's 16, 17 this year, or next year. Hillary, help me out. <laughs> and anyway, Hannah, who's 20 this year. So uh, the three girls. But all of their cohorts at school, about six out of ten were from dysfunctional families. Now, when I say dysfunctional, living with one parent, or either mum or dad in prison, or you know, bombed out on drugs and, you know, doing the grog pretty heavily. Like, just broken. I couldn't believe it. We had one... I probably won't go there. Um, Just we've got a few young people here today, but um, it it just opened our eyes and it it broke our hearts. And uh, so we just believe that God has, you know, positioned us and placed us, as he does with every one of us. And... um, before we came to Canberra, you know, we were thinking about what can we, um, how can we sum up what we want to share and impart into where we are being called, Canberra. And it was experiencing supernatural grace and was basically the grace of God, the grace message. You know, because a lot of people, when I went to Canberra, before I went to Canberra, and, and again, I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself for those that have heard this, But I just felt the Lord say to Jacob, like to me, but through scripture, 
I want you to go east. This was to Jacob. And unblock the wells that the Philistines had blocked up. And water the sheep and the goats. Water the sheep and the goats. Refresh the sheep and the goats. And I said, Lord, the sheep, that's, that's your people. That's the flocks of God. That's the people of God. Churches of all denominations bring refreshing water, the grace message that will refresh the body of Christ. And we've had opportunity to preach in a Nigerian church, uh, a Grace, Grace Church, Pastor Brian Medway's church in Canberra, connected with them. Um, uh, Hope International Church, which is a Malaysian Chinese church, mainly connected with university students. Uh, there's some of the uh, different places that we have ministered, which has been great. But I said to the Lord, who are the goats? Now, in Scripture, we know that the goats are going to come into God's kingdom, but the goats are going to be rejected. And I thought, you know, maybe it's the goats, you know, maybe it's the people that need to hear the gospel. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, the sheep are the local Canberrans that are in local churches. The goats are international people that come into Canberra. Well, so clear. And I thought, oh, I've never thought of that before, that they're the goats. Not the billy silly goats, but just goats that are different to the sheep. And so we started reaching out to international people. Half our worship team, more than half our worship team, is Papua New Guinean. And uh, we have uh, Indian, we have Korean, Chinese, um, African uh, connections and, uh, and many more nationalities. And so to bring the grace message into Canberra, you know, because I just felt that, you know, the Lord was saying there's a lot of religious people People that are under obligation and duty, they come to church, they do their religious thing, but they don't know the Father. They don't experience what grace is. And so that's our message this morning, this afternoon, not this morning, that's our message this afternoon. I want to share about the covenant that David and Jonathan made with each other. So can we... Just turn your Bibles. The first reading is 1 Samuel chapter 18, 1 and 4. So if you've got, you have a mic, Alison, so just the four or five verses there. 1 Samuel chapter 18, not up on the screen, is it? No. So you're just going to read it out. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. And it is there. Who's doing that? Good job. Well done. Thanks, Alison. After David had finished taking, uh, sorry, talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe as he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. And we'll just stop there. Thank you. So that's the introduction to our message today. There's two men, David. We just heard about David, a young shepherd boy who became the king of Israel. And Jonathan, the other person in this story, was the son of King Saul. But Jonathan and David had a friendship and they connected with each other and they made covenant 
together. Now, the word covenant means bereth. That's the Hebrew word, bereth. And it means to cut covenant. Cut covenant. Now, who remembers the old movies, Cowboys and Indians? You know, the Indians would cut their hand or cut their arm and they would, each party, and they would mix their blood together. That's, a, that's an Eastern culture, cutting covenant together, mixing blood. So it was a covenant made with blood of two parties. And they promised something to each other. And here it says that they made covenant together and they made a pact. In other words, they promised one another that they would have each other's back, that they would support one another, that they would be forever friends. And nothing could break that covenant. They took off their robe, gave it to one another, or David did, Jonathan rather, gave it to David, the tunic, the sword, the bow, and the belt, all very significant things that identified each one and the promise that they'd made to the other party. So there was this relationship that was, that was deep, that was, that was uh, forged in blood. So David and Jonathan were in covenant relationship with each other. And there was a time in David's life when he wasn't the king, as we saw in that animation, didn't we? David knew there was something inside of him through the prophet Samuel. There was something burning in him. There was something settled in him. There was a conviction. There was a, a witness. There was something that told him that he was going to be king. But he wasn't at that time because Saul was king. But Saul got jealous, we saw, and he started throwing swords and, you know, and tried to kill David because he was jealous and envious because people loved David more and they loved him as king. And so there was this friendship together. And we know that this blood pact mixed their blood with each other's. Bereth is that word, to cut covenant together. Now these two men, listen to this, became one. And they were prepared to die, to fight, and to protect one another. And we saw that, exchanging each other's goods, items, clothing and weapons. Now we're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 20. We're going to keep the story going. Verses 13 to 15. And this is a conversation that Jonathan is having with David. But if my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me. But if ever so severely... If I do not let you know and send you away safely, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfaithful kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut of every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Yeah, so look, verse 15. Jonathan said, listen to this, this is part of the story, just as we unpack it. He said, Jonathan said to David, but if I die, promise me, David, that you will treat my family 
with the same faithful love that you've treated me with. And even when the Lord destroys all the enemies from the face of the earth, this was Jonathan's heartfelt plea to David. Now, the King James Version says, but you shall not cut off your kindness, as Alison read, from my house forever. In other words, don't disconnect from my family, from my children's children. Let this covenant continue forever. Jonathan was pleading with David. Now look, moving along ahead a number of years, David is now king. King Saul is dead. But Jonathan also died. Jonathan was killed. And to give you a picture of the love that David had for Jonathan, he wrote a song. Can I just share this song? Are you reading this one too? I don't know whether I gave this one to you. 2 Samuel chapter 1, 25 to 27. You got that one? Okay. Nice big voice. Go for it. A couple of verses there. 2 Samuel chapter 1, 25 and 27. How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your, on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman. How the mighty have fallen, the weapons of war have perished. Okay, so this is David's lament. You know what lament means? This, this grief, this sadness, that he was so sad that his closest friend Jonathan had passed away. And he, he, may, he sings this song, you know, and... Jonathan lies dead. I weep for you, my brother. How I loved you. And your love for me was deeper, deeper than any love of women. Like it was just this, 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 this brotherly love that they were so connected with. And now Jonathan is dead. He's died. And David is sad. And we might think, well, where's the destiny? Where's the grace? What's the message here for us? I believe this is one of the greatest messages of grace that we could ever hear. And I want to share this with you. King David represents all that God is. King David. He had a heart after God's own heart. King Saul represents all that the world is. Envy, jealousy, living in a carnal nature, wanting to kill wanting to destroy. That's King Saul. He's dead now. But David is representative of all that God is, God's heart, God's intention. This morning we shared it in Narendra. If, if we can only just get a hold of the true nature of God, whatever perspective you have, whatever idea, whatever life experience, whatever you've heard, whatever you've seen, whatever you've been through in life may not be a true picture of God. And so we need to get a biblical true picture. We need to get a, a grace perspective. We need to get you know, the right understanding of, of God's nature. Our God the Father, Abba, Papa, Papa, Papa God. We, we can approach him any time. We need to get a, a true understanding of Jesus. You know, Xi Jinping, is that the president of China? 
You know, they have a team for the last eight years to rewrite the New Testament. To rewrite the New Testament. I've read some quotes that have come through the voice of the martyrs, I think, or open doors. And the 10-year plan to, to give every church and every Christian in China the Chinese Bible. It's not our Bible. And the story of the woman who was dragged before Jesus, who was caught in adultery, and the, and the Jewish leaders said, okay, Jesus, here she is, and there she is, sort of stripped almost naked, and she's crying her eyes out. She was caught doing something she shouldn't have been doing. And these guys dragged in front of Jesus, and they said, Jesus, what did Moses say? Moses said that she should be stoned to death. What do you say? How did Jesus respond? How did he respond? He just got down on the ground. Must have been in the outer courts of the, of the temple because it wasn't concrete or you know granite or whatever. He was just in the dirt and just started doodling. Jesus was doodling, you know, doing something. And, uh, and Jesus said, He that is without sin casts a first stone. And these men from the oldest started to walk away until they got to the youngest and then they walked away. Jesus said, where's your accusers? They've all gone. And Jesus said, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Jesus is into restoring people's lives. You know, Xi Jinping, he wants to change that and, and, and they've got the wording. And Jesus stoned the woman to death. That's blasphemous. That is wicked. Can you believe that? That there there would be a man who is in power that would want to change our Jesus. (laughs) He can't do it. How did I get onto that? Sorry, I've gone a bit sidetracked there. But that was just last week I read that. And I thought, crazy, crazy world. Why are they so threatened with the word of God? Because it's powerful. Because it reveals truth. Because it's a revelation of God. If you want to know who God is, you open up the Bible and read. That's the face of God, Scripture. The Bible opened. That's God. Anyway, so we've got the house of David. It's all that heaven is. Saul and his family. Saul, King Saul, hated David's family. Did all he could to eradicate, to persecute, to destroy. And Jonathan was a type of Jesus. When I say type, it's kind of like a metaphor of Jesus. Jesus died. Jonathan died. But Jonathan made a covenant with David. Who does David represent? God. Jesus and his father made a covenant and shed blood. Jesus shed his blood and made a covenant with his father. But let's look at the story and we understand that we can play a part. We are part of this story. So all that who would believe in Christ and all that would understand what Jesus did on the cross in shedding his blood would be redeemed by grace and secure their eternal destiny. Now we're going to read 2 Samuel chapter 9, 3 and 5. We're getting halfway through the story, so hang with me because the best is yet to come. Thanks, Alison. We've got 2 Samuel 9, 3 and 5. Have you got one there or have I got that? 
I've got that? Okay, I'll read that one out. Okay, I'll just read out 2 Samuel 9, 3 and 5. Then the king said, Is there not still somebody from the house of Saul who was Jonathan's father? Saul, King Saul. But Jonathan was different to all of the other members of the family of Saul because Jonathan was united with David. But David said, King David, the king said, Is there someone from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness to? Surely there's somebody. And the servant said, Yeah, there's still the son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba, the servant of the king, said, Well, he's back in the house of Mechur or Makur in Lodibar. So the king now is David. He's in his castle. He's having a bit of drink of grape juice, a bit of roast lamb, having a feast, as kings do, with his servants. And he reaches out. Oh, what does he see on his arm? Reaches out for some food. He remembers something. What's he see? A scar. He sees, and I'm using a bit of creative license here, so just hang on there. Hang in there. He remembers there was Jonathan, his best mate, and they cut covenant together. And David had forgotten because he says, I made a promise. Jonathan made me promise that I would protect, I would love on, I would look after I would go chasing down to show goodness to anyone who was born of Jonathan. Now, Jonathan had a son called Mephibosheth. Say Mephibosheth. Everybody say Mephibosheth. Come on, Hebrews. Mephibosheth. That's a Hebrew name. Mephibosheth. There was a little boy. And uh, the promise that Jonathan made, David rather, made to Jonathan that he would... Show kindness to everyone that was born of Jonathan. Everyone in Jonathan's family or Jonathan's household. So here's the scenario. He sees the scar on his forearm. And the scar was significant because it was about cutting covenant. And it came flooding back to David. More important, it was the promise that he made. David said, I must be faithful to the word. Come on, get this. I must be faithful to the word. Now, if David represents God, God says, I must be faithful to my word. There's no escape because God is ultimately true in everything he says and everything he does. God says, I'm going to be faithful to my word. David says here, I can't back out of the promise that I made. Surely there is someone, he said to his servant, surely there is still somebody who is from the household of Jonathan. Yeah, there's a little boy. His name's Mephibosheth. And we're going to read verse 5. Have you got verse 5 there, Alison? Um, it's 2 Samuel chapter 9, 3 and 5. Oh, sorry, chapter, verse 5. Verse 5. So King David had him brought from 
Lodebar from the house of Machia, son of Amiel. Yep. So basically, Zebra says in verse 5, depending on what translation you read, yeah, there's a little boy from the household of Jonathan. His name's Mephibosheth. And he's living in the backside of the desert called Lodibar, basically. In desolation, in a desert. And he's the forgotten boy. He's the forgotten boy. Mephibosheth is the forgotten little boy who's stuck out on the backside of the desert. No one knows of him. No one remembered him except Zeba, the servant of David. And David says, I've got to show kindness to that boy. And you know what? He became a cripple because when David came into the um, places where people had to evacuate because they thought they were going to get killed, the maidservant picked up this little boy. He was only probably three or four years old and grabbed him real quick, but she dropped him. What happens when you drop a little kid? Mephibosheth broke his legs and he became crippled. So he's not just on the backside of the desert where no one knows and he's forgotten, but he's crippled. He's disabled. He's got two bad legs and he's just dragging himself around on the backside of the desert, living in poverty, living in desolation. But there was a king who remembered that there was a covenant made that could not be broken. You know, on the backside of the desert, Lodibar means, I think in the Hebrew, a, a, a desert pastureless field. There's not much there. You know, you can go out west and you'd probably find, you know, barren land, rocky soil, not much grows out there, not even good for grazing. Out the back of Lodibar, this is a picture of the human race. This is a picture of our world that we live in. Do you get that? Can you see that? Lodibar. And this little boy barely survived from day to day. He had no hope. He had no future. He was crippled. He was forgotten. He was separated from the king. He didn't know that his father had cut covenant with David. How many people in our world today do not know that there's a Jesus who cut covenant with his father and died on a cross and they're living in desolation, they're living separated from God, they're living as enemies of God with enmity against God. Alienated from life, Ephesians says. Our world needs to know that there was somebody who cut covenant and shed blood so we could be reunited back with David. So Mephibosheth, now you just think about it. He had to escape where he was with the few lasting members of the household of Jonathan because they were convinced, because they were the household of Saul. Saul and David were enemies. Not that David was an enemy. He spared, didn't he? We saw. He spared King Saul's life. He cut off his thing. He could have cut off his head, but he just cut off a bit of clothing. But they escaped. But they were brainwashed. They were programmed. They believed a lie. And you know what the lie was? From the household of Saul... David hates us, David hates us, David hates us. So the bitterness, 
the resentment, the anger, the hatred. How many people in the world, God hates me, God hates me, the church hates me. Look what the church has done. That's a picture of God. The church is wicked, the church is bad. That must be a picture of God. How can God love us? He just hates us. So here's Mephibosheth, growing up as a little boy, convinced that anything connected to David was to be feared. Isn't that a picture of so many people? Wrong picture of God. But David only loved the household of Saul. That's the truth. The world needs to know that God only loves them and provided a shed blood to bring them together to fulfill the promise, to be faithful to the promise, to provide, to care, to feed, to guard. That's grace. So David sends for Mephibosheth, sends his chariots and his soldiers out because they located, they knew where Lodibar was, they got their GPS out. Hang on. Yep, God's positioning system. So they knew where it was and they went looking. And you know, there's Mephibosheth just dragging himself around in the dust and probably a young teenage boy by now. And he sees the dust in the distance. What's he thinking? That's King David's men. Oh no. Because he only grew up in a, in a cauldron of lies and deception. And he's thinking, no, David's coming, he's going to kill me. Because that's all he believed. That's all he heard. So the soldiers came. So David sends for him, but Mephibosheth's life was determined by deceit. He was vulnerable, living in that bitterness and hopelessness. So he had a wrong picture of David. He was fed lies and cut off from this amazing grace. But all was about to be transformed. This is where the story has a happy ending. Through appropriating the covenant of grace through the shedding of blood. And like ourselves, God calls us. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He sent Jesus to die for us. Our Jonathan, who shed blood to show us God's love. But before Mephibosheth could enter into all of this covenant that his father had provided for him, he's got to leave Lodibar. You cannot live in the covenant promise of grace still in an old place. You've got to shift from Lodibar, that place of lies and untruth, that place of being bitter and hard in your heart. We've got to make a choice. Now, probably Mephibosheth didn't have much choice. He was told, you've got to come and see King David. <laughs> How do you think he was feeling? I mean, these soldiers were big. They had swords, they had shields, they had spears. But God sends for us by his spirit. Passionately reveals and pours out goodness and mercy through this new blood covenant. So 2 Samuel chapter 9, 1 
to 13. I don't think it's all of those verses. I might have the wrong one there. I might just keep going, Alison. Is that okay? 1 to 13. We won't worry about that because I haven't even got that in my notes, I don't think. But just the one verse, David summoned his chariots and sent for him. We've just said that. So Mephibosheth starts his journey of grace. So he's on the way to meet David face to face, to have an encounter with the king. He's got an appointment now. And this is what happens. When he thinks that David is going to kill him, you know what he says? He says this, with all that's in his heart and in his mind and being fed to him, he just says to David, what do you want with a dead dog like me? How many of us have said that? Just me. Two, three. How many of us have had such a low self-image of ourselves when we've done something wrong or we've failed? Lord, what do you want with me? I'm a failure. I've had no worth or value. I've just stuffed up terribly. I've made the biggest mistake in my life. I'm not living right. How can you love me? Mephibosheth said, well, that's what it says. What do you want with a dead dog like me? So escorted into the king's presence, he has this conversation. Hey, we're going to land the plane. That's all that, Jonathan, uh, that's all that Mephibosheth said. This forgotten boy was reconciled to the truth, to goodness, and to the favour of the king because of covenant. He was restored into right relationship with King David. He was reinstated. All that was rightfully his through inheritance of his father. Dignity and self-worth were established. His life was transformed. He was accepted. He was acknowledged. All of this happened because of covenant. He was told, David said, you can sit at my table in the palace. You can sit at the king's table and eat the king's food. And in fact, you can be called one of the king's sons. Ah, how did that happen? Because of the covenant. So this is a story of grace and destiny. Hey, we don't deserve what God has poured out and given to us. Nothing. But because Jesus shed his blood and made a covenant with his Father, and this blood is redemptive blood, it's restorative, it reestablishes us. God now and ourselves are joined together. We are in relationship together. This is a story of each of our lives. If you don't understand grace, think of Mephibosheth. There he is, disabled, separated, disconnected, 
living in poverty. Everything that is just a terrible life. But the king calls him. You know, the Bible says that no one can come to the Father unless the Spirit draw him or, or be drawn by God's Spirit. You know, so God draws us. You know, the Bible says that God's love is like cords of kindness. And I believe God pulls us toward himself. You know, the Psalm 23 talks about goodness and mercy. David, right at the end of Psalm 23, we only hear it at funeral services. But this is about the shepherd, Jesus. And he says, surely, David says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All the days of his life were still on earth. It wasn't just something pie in the sky. When we die, we go to heaven. We don't have to wait. It's now. And the Hebrew word that grace, was it goodness and mercy, follow. You know what the word follow means? It literally means to hunt down. God is hunting us down. Not hunting us down to kill us, because we think the word hunt is punishment and and kill and, you know, chase after with a spear and a sword. No, it means hunt us down. God is passionately chasing after us. Why? Why is he chasing you, my brother? Why is he after you? Why is he on our tail? For one thing, to show us goodness and mercy. To show us goodness and mercy. Oh, hang on a minute, that doesn't line up with my theology. I thought God was always looking over my shoulder, making sure I do everything right. And he's got this big thing in his hand and he's ready to hit me on the head. And if I, if I think something wrong, if I do something wrong, it's going to be bad news for me. No, God's only intention to follow after you is to show you how good he is, to show you his grace, to show you his mercy. So here we have Mephibosheth now, a son of the king. Shown mercy, shown love, shown grace. And everything that was his was restored to him and much, much more. Now he can eat and partake of everything that's on the king's table. What's on the king's table? What's on our table that we sit with the king? Give me some things that we partake of. Come on, tell me. What are some great things that we can partake of? Come on, Stella, give me some things. His presence, peace, hope, joy, love, goodness, every spiritual blessing. Sorry? Integrity. Because we're changed, we have a new identity, so therefore we can live differently. Righteousness. Not our own righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. Jesus was made sin for us who did not know sin. You know, it's interesting that, I don't know whether I shared this this morning or not, forgive me again if I'm repeating myself, but I was just really moved with Nicole's communion message as we did church this morning at Narandra. And, you know, Herod, Herod said, Jesus has done nothing wrong. Pilate, Pilate said, this man has done nothing wrong. Two of the most ungodly men in the world of that time said, this man has done nothing wrong. This man is innocent. The thief on the cross, 
This man has done nothing wrong. And he was being tried and killed and executed for murder and a murderous thief. Jesus was innocent, yet he was guilty. Guilty of what? Taking our sin upon himself. God made Jesus to be sin for us. For us. And he did not know any sin, but he was made sin for us. Who knew no sin? He did not know anything about sin. He was sinless. He was a perfect lamb without blemish. So we could be made righteous. How about that? So we get a brand new nature. And here's Mephibosheth sitting at the king's table, partaking of all his goodness. When only a few days before, he was stuck out on the backside of the desert called Lodibar in a pastureless, desolate, dry place. Hey, isn't God good? This is a picture of grace. You can clap after if you like. We don't have to clap now. That's all right. But this is a picture of God's grace for us. You know, the scripture says that we have all sinned. I'm probably stretching maybe the theological, doctrinal views right now, but I'll give it a shot. You know, Paul never told the new church that they were sinners. He told them they were saints. Fifty times in his letters, he said, you're saints, you're saints, you're saints, you are not sinners. Now I know the scripture says, but we have all sinned, but we have all been justified by faith in grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm looking at saints this afternoon. Oh, but I don't feel like a saint. Sorry, not about feelings. It's about the truth of God's word. Even truth is a higher law than fact. Sometimes it's a, it's a real McCoy that we can be feeling, not quite ah, pushing through and not feeling very good before God. But the Bible says that we are saints. I was a sinner, but now a saint. I was a slave, but now a son. I was a pauper, but now I'm a prince. And you're princesses, all you girls. Because we have a lineage to the king, to our God the Father. This is a wonderful, wonderful picture of amazing, immeasurable, incredible grace of God demonstrated to us in this story, which is an Old Testament story. So, because of covenant, how was covenant made? Through the shedding of blood, grace is abundantly unleashed into each of our lives. You know, we are coming to a place now, just even in our family when things happen, <clears throat> as we discuss around the table, hey, I've got three, still three teenage girls and Kaz, my wife, and, and we pray. But when things happen, we just pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. So we just go to prayer. And let's declare the blood of Jesus, the blood of the new covenant over our family, over our finances, over our, our vehicles. Kaz had an accident just last week. Could have been terrible. 
but thankfully coming to church, she had Phoebe with her. Phoebe was on singing and had to get there early and Kaz was, a lot was happening and she ran up the gutter and burst the tyre and kept on driving on the rim and, and kept on going and then got stuck and then rang me. And then we had to, they, NRMA said four hours we'll be there. So she was going to miss church, but she was there and fixed up in 20 minutes. And I just thought, no, it's just a change of tyre. She'd be right. We'll just get a new rim, a new tyre, no worries. But it could have been much worse. You know, so we just pray. Come on, we claim what Jesus has done for us. But we need to appropriate by faith. Let's dare to believe. I was talking to a guy this morning in church. And he had a friend of his, a lady who was just being diagnosed with cancer and she had the worst stage of cancer, just diagnosed by a doctor. And this guy said, well, why don't I just pray? And I'm thinking, that's a big one. That's a big C, but let's give it a shot. So he's sharing the story with me. He prayed for her. And within a week, she went back to the doctor, ready for a major operation. Did the test, said to her and the husband, we can't find anything. Sorry, don't know what to do. We had one of our ladies in church, Sister Kari, who was at Narendra for a little while, went to Kondo, then Burrawarana, Kari and Moses. And, and Kari was diagnosed with liver cancer. It devastated them when they got the diagnosis and thought, wow, no, you know, and, and they were just, they were in shock. So we said, let's pray. Let's go to prayer and let's continue to pray. So she, over a period of, of three months, um, she was booked in for a major operation. They were going to cut the cancer out of her liver. And so we said, okay, well, if that's the story, that's got to happen. We're going to pray that the liver regenerates, which livers do. But the liver regenerated nearly 100%. No cancer. Cancer-free. Just praying. Just be bold enough to pray. Can I share one quick testimony? And I promise I'll finish there, uh, Annette. Um, and I've... Again, sorry if you've heard this before, but when I was doing pastoral care at an aged care facility in Canberra, Goodwin Aged Care, I went out to the car park and my daughter Hannah was sick that day, home from school. And uh, I said to Han, I rang her up and said, look, Han, how are you doing? I'll be home soon. I'm going to leave early from Goodwin Aged Care to come back. She said, no, look, I'm fine. While I'm talking to Hannah on the phone, I saw two people and I'm parked out in front of Ainsley Soccer Club, two massive big soccer fields. And I'm looking and I'm, and I'm seeing a guy with a dog and a lady. They, they, they walked around more than this area here. They, they just walked. And I'm, and I'm talking to Hannah on the phone for about probably two or three minutes. And this couple were walking and they were doing this. What, what do you think was going on? They lost something. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, go and help them find what they've lost. So what do you do when you hear a voice like that? Get behind me. Get behind me. <laughs> so I said, oh, Han, um, yeah, look, I will be home soon. And I repeated myself. Da-da. And then the Holy Spirit said, again, go and help them find what they've lost. And I said, Han, look, I might be a little bit later than I think because I feel that God has just spoken to me to go and help this couple find what they've lost. Who? What couple? What? Who, who, I said, there's a couple that are walking around a soccer field and they've been doing it for about five minutes. So I'm going to go and help them find what they've lost because I feel God wants me to help them. So 
see ya, bye, see you soon, hang up. And I'm thinking, what do you say to somebody? Excuse me, I just heard a voice. <laughs> no, be a little bit tactful. So take your phone with you and just pretend you're on the phone. Oh, g'day mate, how are you going? <laughs> so I pretend I was texting on my phone just to walk up to them. And I heard what the girl was saying. She was on her telephone saying, we know they're here somewhere, we know they're here somewhere, but we can't find them, we can't find them. So I walked up to the guy and he was stationary when I walked up to him and was like, say, Graham here. And I said, oh, excuse me, mate. You know, put my phone down because I was only pretending I was on it. And I said, have you lost something? He said, yeah, we've lost a bunch of keys. I said, there they are. Split second. And I just turned my head. There they are, a metre behind you. A big bunch of green keys in the grass. Now, he was walking around. He was only stationary for a short time. How does that happen? <laughs> hey? So I'm thinking, I was just as shocked as him, but, but he was really shocked. And he said, Jesus Christ. And I said, how can I leverage this and not hijack what God was doing, but I said, mate, can I just tell you something? It was Jesus that told me, the Jesus name you just used. He told me to come and help you find what you lost. He said, mate, he picked up the keys, he yelled to his sister or girlfriend or whatever, look, look, here they are. They were just jumping out of their skin because they'd been looking for quite a while. But God knows where things are. And, and when we're open and willing, we can be a party to some amazing things that God will lead us into, where we can rejoice. I walked back, I thought, do I keep talking to them or, no, they're pretty excited doing their own thing. I just walked back to the car thinking, wow, that was pretty neat. I'm feeling pretty chuffed. I jumped in the car and I was on cloud nine, like sort of levitating in the car. No, not levitating. But I was just feeling really kind of neat and, and they came up and I went and there were big smiles on their faces when they saw me sitting in the car and I went and he went <laughs> I found a big bunch of keys and we've had a number of stories well when I say number a few of those sort of stories where we have found things that have been lost some things are still lost that we're still looking for <laughs> I don't know but let's give it a go let's, let's grab hold of what Jesus did for us. It was a powerful, powerful covenant. You know, it was the most powerful event on earth ever, other than the splitting of the Red Sea, I believe. The, the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's nothing surpasses that. So we've got to tap into all that it means for us. Don't be a Mephibosheth. Get out of Lodi Bar. Come and eat, sit at the king's table because David doesn't hate us. God actually loves us and he invites us to come. No matter what we've heard, what we've seen, what we've believed, there is a grace that is pure and transparent and openly expressed and demonstrated to us. Amen? Amen. Let's just close our eyes. I just want to pray for you and then we'll hand it back to him. Annette, thank you, Father. I'm going to ask you this afternoon, 
If you've never really entered into a grace relationship with God, if you feel like, hey, I think I'm like a Mephibosheth and I need to know that God loves me and I need to know that his grace is extended to me. Just want you to sit quietly now, okay? I want you to just raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. If you want to open up your heart and say, that's me. I want to come into a place where I can sit at the king's table and I can know his love. I need to know his grace. Now you might be also, or there might be some people here that just want to enter into a greater experience of God's grace. Okay? A greater experience of God's grace. I just want you to lift up your hand. No one needs to see. I just want to pray for you. Yep, thank you. See your hand. Anyone else? Just lift up your hand. You just want to to be someone who experiences God's grace. Not just saving grace, but an abundance of grace for the saints of what God has for us. Yep. Anyone else? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to pray just a really simple prayer. Now, there's no magic in the prayer. We are just believing. We are believing that God is a generous Father. He's a good, good God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are like a King David and you have made a promise and you are faithful to that promise. We thank you for the word. We thank you for the many promises, Lord, that you've given us that help us walk the journey of faith and we can live, Lord, not just an exciting adventure in you, but we can experience you. We can know your presence. We can experience your love deep in our hearts and we can be filled with love where we can love others. Lord, I thank you that there are miracles waiting for us. If we dare to believe and just pray simple prayers of faith, believing you, Lord, we want to be those people tonight, Lord, this afternoon, we want to be those people that dare to believe that you will be faithful to your promise and faithful to your word. Thank you, Father. Release your grace now for those who need healing, for those who need miracles, for those who need to enter into a deeper relationship with God, for those who are still in Lodibar that need to leave some things behind in their life and get out of the barrenness and the desolation of life living in this world and to come into the King's presence. Father, we thank you right now that you will just Make this manifest in Jesus' name. We see it, we believe it, we pray it, and we thank you for it. All because Jesus shed his blood and made a promise and that you would keep it. We thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now you can clap if you like.